Our scripture text for today is Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. Okay. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the praise, and we thank you for the opportunity to speak to another human being. Uh, for those that are at home, that are uh, on the YouTube call or channel, pray that you would help them to also know that we are not together physically, but that we are together spiritually. And Lord, I pray for those that are here as well as at home, that you will continue to work in our hearts and in our lives, in our minds, and that you would help us to unlock the truths that are here, that you would help us to really take to heart all that you have for us this day. We thank you for uh, just the opportunity to even have this service in the time of this pandemic that we can still be safe and still gather and still do both in person as well as online. We give you all the glory, we give you all the praise, and we pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Um, I've asked this a few times now, and I will, I kind of have an idea who the football fans are. Usually when I ask a football question, there's a hand that goes up way back there, and a couple others here or there. Um, but this is a little different from a football question, right? Because it's not exactly football. It's a little bit more than football. Any of you guys Super Bowl fans? Or you've watched the Super Bowl? Okay? See, the hands that go up for the Super Bowl is quite different than just football. Where did the Super Bowl come from? Actually, there's a guy by the name of Lamar Hunt. He's actually the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and he also is the guy that started the American Football League. Before, there used to be a National Football League, and then he started what's called the American Football League. And then they decided to have this championship. Anyway, Lamar Hunt was at home one day, and he saw his daughter playing with a toy. How many of you guys ever played with a Super Bowl? Has ever have those as a child? Kind of, is that not a thing? Man, it was the rage. There was the tiny ones, there was big ones. And you would just bounce these things and they would go sky high. Anyway, these are called Super Bowls. Lamar Hunt saw his daughter playing with one. He said, hey, maybe we can call it the Super Bowl. Anyway, a lot of people, all the other people in football are like, no, that sounds silly and all that stuff. But eventually, it caught on and now it's called the Super Bowl. Well, connected to the Super Bowl, there's a player by the name of Jerry Rice. Who knows Jerry Rice? Ah, a few, few hands. Okay, great. Jerry Rice was the 1989 MVP of Super Bowl 23. Do you know who he played for? The Raiders. At the end, but what was his main team? 49ers. 49ers. Oh, he had his hand up and someone took it. Yes, the 49ers. How many of you guys know the position? Call it out. Wide 
wide receiver. How many of you know the average lifespan of an NFL wide receiver? 32 years. <laughs> I don't know, they might get hit a lot. <laughs> okay, the average life, okay, I said the lifespan, okay, that's a, that's a, okay, oh, I understand the response. What is their average career length? 15 years. Okay, it's actually less than three years. The wide receiver position is actually the shortest, it's, it's a position that is actually um, done the shortest period of time. Quarterbacks have a longer career than wide receivers. Anyway, Jerry Rice played, and actually Stephen in the back mentioned it, he played for 15 years and he's considered one of the greatest receivers ever to play the game. Where did he come from? He played for a small college. They call it university now, but it actually originally used to be a vocational college. Vocational, then college, and then university, and that was all for political reasons. But he played for a small school called Mississippi Valley State University in Itabina, Mississippi, a virtual unknown for football. And he was once asked, why did you attend a small, obscure university like Mississippi Valley State University in Itabina, Mississippi? This is Jerry Rice's response. Out of all the big-time schools, such as UCLA, which also recruited him, out of all the big-time schools to recruit me, MVSU was the only school to come to my house and give me a personal visit. Big schools recruited him. Nowadays, you have to kind of go to one of these big schools. But only one school actually came to him and showed Jerry Rice personal attention. What's today's message title? Do you guys know? It was on the screen earlier. Can you guys read that? Reaching others for Christ. This is actually a how-to sermon. It's different in the world where we don't really meet people eye to eye anymore. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, here he was. The scripture says that he saw Simon and his brother casting a net into the sea. What does he do? He approaches them and he invites them to be a part of what he's doing. He went a little further and he sees two more brothers, James and John. He went up to them extending the same invitation and what did they do? They followed. It's the personal approach like MVSU, what they used to invite Jerry Rice to their college, Jesus also did. Let's think about this for a second. What about for you? What would you want? A personal approach or something distant? cold. Cards, letters, those are all nice. They're meaningful, but they can only do so much. A shake of the hand, a personal touch, it makes a difference. Back to the title of the sermon, how can we reach others for Christ and do it with a personal touch? First point. First, for those taking notes, we need to meet people where they are, okay? We need to go to them. Jesus went to the disciples and used language 
they knew. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for men. What was Jesus doing? He was using their language. He didn't say, come, and we're going we're gonna to transform the world and do all this stuff. He just simply said, we're going to fish. Any, any, any fish people that love to fish out there? If you ever have a fishing trip that you need to invite someone and fill a spot, give me a call. Effective evangelism is not impersonal. It's personal. The personal touch of meeting people where they are. Moreover, when we go to them, what do we need to do? We need to understand them. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were moved by a God who spoke their language and understood them. As you know, our family was in China. We were missionaries there. The first few years that we were there, we did, we just tried to learn the culture, learn the language. Here I was in my late 30s, I guess. It was late 30s at the time. Was it 40s? Well, anyway. Here I was in my early 40s going back to school to try to learn Chinese. Even now, when I speak Chinese that I think I know, I'm being corrected all the time. While we were in China, we would see many missionaries. I would see many missionaries that would come straight to China from abroad. And what do a lot of missionaries make the mistake of doing? They have all these ideas of what they're going to do when they get to a foreign land, how they're going to help them, how they're going to save them from their sin. And they come and they spend many years struggling because there's no connection with the local people. We had to spend years before we really found out what the need was. And after about four years, we ended up starting a school for local Chinese students that wanted to study English, that wanted to be able to go to America someday. In his book, Rethinking the Church by James Emery White, he actually shares this example of a car from a company called Chevrolet. You guys know that company? How many of you guys know the car? The Chevy Nova. Anybody know that car? It was actually one of the most popular cars for almost three decades. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the Chevy Nova. It was actually supposed to be a very cheap car, but it ended up becoming like a muscle car. It was so popular that they decided to sell it to other foreign markets. So they went to the Latin countries and they were like, okay, we're gonna, you know, it was up and coming countries and they're gonna start selling the Chevy Nova there. They wanted to go global. So in Latin, they were trying to sell the Chevy Nova. Anybody speak Spanish here? Anyone taking Spanish in school? A couple people, few people? What does Nova mean? Just realize it. It means no-go. They were trying to sell a car titled the Chevy No-Go. How did it do? It flopped. What was their mistake? They didn't know the market that they were in. They didn't know the people that they were trying to sell to. How can we reach others for Christ? 
We can do it first by speaking their language and taking a genuine interest in them. We need to meet them where they are and we need to be personal. Point two, how can we reach people for Christ? We should not be religious when reaching others. What does that mean? Aren't we religious just by being at church and being Christians? Let me share a little bit about the Korean church. Okay? We're, this, this is a Korean church. Um, there are some major positives with the Korean church. And this is recognized globally. It was, at one period, the Korean church was one of the fastest growing churches in the world. They had things like early morning prayer. Anybody ever go to early morning prayer with your parents? Five in the morning, every day, for weeks and weeks? Okay, and the hands start coming down. Well, our parents, the first generation, that's what they did. Oftentimes, they would spend days, if not some even weeks, fasting. And a lot of these immigrant churches that were in America, very few families, but wow, they would financially support their churches. And these are the positives of the Korean church. What are some negatives? Well, they started becoming very judgmental. It started becoming all about numbers. How many people came this Sunday? And the Korean church, in all of its fervency, Another thing that the Korean church is also known for are something called cults. You guys know what that is? They would get so fervent and they didn't quite like what they wanted and they would change it and make it to what they wanted. This, was the, this is kind of the history of the Korean church. Now, in the 21st century, what is the Korean church known for? What is its struggle? It's actually known to be very stagnant. If you ever go to a meeting of pastors, you know, oftentimes one of the issues becomes your church took my church member. You're trying to take our members. It's no, it's no longer about reaching people for Christ. It's more about taking people from that church to have them come to my church. Growth is from church movement and not new believers. Why? I believe we've become overly religious. It's now all of a sudden, it's a lifestyle about how to be Christian. It's not a faith. There's actually no life. Many come because they have to versus wanting to. Okay, don't raise your hands, but maybe some of you are sitting here today because your parents brought you forced you, not because you wanted to come. For some of us, we share the gospel going a little step beyond. Maybe some of you, how many of you guys have actually shared the gospel in the past year where you brought someone to the Lord? You don't have to raise your hands. But oftentimes, we don't hear that. Instead, I'll hear people all the time, oh, hey, oh, you go to church? Oh, hey, I go to church. And then it kind of stops there. And then if someone goes, maybe some of you here, oh, you go to church, which church? I'm looking for a church. But it's all people that are already in the faith. And oftentimes we share the gospel, maybe some of you that share it, it's because we think we have to and not because we care for dying souls. Actually, the reality is many share nothing at all. The list of things 
regarding church that we have to do and the things we must not do keeps growing. You have to do this. You can't do that. What does this sound like to you? To me, it sounds like the Jewish religion. What Jesus came to change. In the 80s, I'm guilty of this as well. Actually, in the 80s, there was this big movement to street evangelism. What is street evangelism? You would just be on the street and you would go up to people and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Hey, what will happen if you die today? Hey, believe in Jesus or you'll go to hell. Well, there was actually something that I was a part of. It was called, um, during spring break, a lot of college students would go to Daytona Beach. You guys ever hear of this? And we would actually, it was something that we would call beach evangelism because there were all these college students that would be at spring break. And why are they there at Daytona Beach? Just to, to have fun and to party. And we were there to try to get them to believe in Jesus. It was a means of evangelism. Looking back, I realized that we were just being religious. We weren't reaching others for Christ. You know, there's not a single person that I spoke to that week whose name I remember. Jesus invites the disciples to spend three years with him. It didn't happen overnight. It took three years to make them into disciples. And even at the end of the three years, some of them still struggled. The personal touch takes time. To just be religious and just share the things that we've learned at church or at Sunday school, oh, go to church, believe in Jesus. Without being personal, what is the result? I'll let you wrestle with it. Third point, you can reach others for Christ right where you are. We often think that the work of reaching others for Christ, actually maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, okay, I want to, you know, reach people for Christ. I want to share the gospel. But in order to do that, I need to go all the way around the world or to some jungle to where they've never heard the gospel or something. And that's a possibility. And maybe you will get that calling. But you may also be asked to stay home. How many of you guys remember our passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 20, 39? Anyone remember? This is about the demon-possessed man. Remember him? Jesus restores this demon-possessed man. I like the version that it has in Mark chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Here it reads, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, and this is what he says to this guy that just got, was all these, he's free of all these demons, he's back to himself again after all these years, and he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to follow him like his disciples. What does Jesus say? All right, another disciple. Man, this guy's really committed. Let's go. No, he actually says something very different. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Decapolis. What is that? It's actually a name for 10 cities. It's like a whole region. He was a living, walking, and undeniable demonstration of what Jesus can do for you. Question for you. How can you be a living, walking, and undeniable demonstration of what Jesus can do? This is where I get to recap everything that we've studied so far. Do you guys remember what the first sermon that I gave here at Promise Youth Group was? Those that took notes, now you have your notes, you can go back and answer the questions. Okay, we need to open doors and we need to make room. Do you have room for Jesus Christ? Is, is there room? Is there space? Are you so busy that there's no time for him? The second thing we looked at is we need to keep gathering as a body of Christ. We need one another. Coming to church, not just because we have to, but it should be a want to for new life, for experiencing God. And then we learn that we have a new start in Christ. Maybe you want all these things, but you're like, oh, I have all this baggage and I can't change and I'm this bad person. In Christ, you can be made anew. And we are renewed each day. Amen? Amen for that. And then we learn that it's not about us. Rather, it needs to be about the kingdom. When we're always just focused on ourselves, even things that are going well go badly. But when we look to the kingdom and when we look to God, even things that are going badly becomes a way of experiencing him. And then we learn that the importance of what? The little things, right? It's not always about the big mountaintop experience. It's the getting up on time this morning so that you can get ready and not argue with your parents so that you can be in a good mood, so you can be at church. And when Pastor Kim says, time to welcome each other, you're like, hey, versus mm, the little things. And last week, we learned that as we do all these things, we will do what? We will be able to see heaven opened up. This past Friday, I was really, you know, Friday was a tough week, right? And Friday, I came to church before, because we have our Friday night Bible study here. And Friday night, we were gathered in a circle, and one of the shepherds, Anthony, I asked, how are you guys doing? And he was so excited. And I was like, wow, this guy, maybe something great happened. Did he get engaged again or something happened? It was none of those things. He was just excited to be at church. He has a full-time job. As he's mentioned, it's, it's a very hectic time for him right now because it's the tax season. He works in an accounting office. He also got engaged, and we were kind of sharing about all the challenges of planning weddings and this and and man, the guy's a busy guy. He leads plays. He's got to prepare. every Friday, first one here. Today, first one here. 
And here he was, excited to be here. Just as busy as every, everyone else. His joy for me was heaven opened up. I want to invite all of you guys, for those of you, obviously our, our gathering Friday isn't as big as this, but we do have a Bible study that will really, hopefully, um, prayerfully teach you or you can learn how to have a better relationship with one another. This coming Friday, if you've missed all the past Fridays, you can get a summary of everything and then the Friday Bible study is about a relationship with Jesus. To recap, what's today's message about? You know, reaching others for Christ. Do you guys know what, I've, I've asked this before, what is the vision statement for Promise Youth Group? Now that's what I preached on. But what's the vision statement for Promise Youth Group is? For the lost to be found. And then, for the found, now that we're found, what do we have to do? Reach the lost. That is a statement of basically the same thing today. Reaching others for Christ. How do we do it? First, we need to be what? Personal. Reach them where they're at. Go to them. And then what do we need to do? Don't go to them with all this religious mumbo-jumbo about do's and don'ts and, you know, have to be like this. And, you know, I see so many people in the church, they'll go to someone and the first thing that they'll do is, especially if they're smoking a cigarette or doing something that they shouldn't, oh, bad. Are they ever going to come with them? Are they ever going to want to know about their God? Don't be religious. And the third point, Wherever you're at right now, with the people that are around you, those are the people that you're called to reach. You don't have to go away to college. You don't have to go to a foreign country. You don't have to go halfway around the world. It's right here. Let's pray.